I invite you to turn with me uh, to Mark chapter 1. I know you're surprised. We've only been in it for a month. Mark chapter 1. We'll be focusing on the 29th through 39th verses today. Um, I like superhero uh, movies. Some of you know that. And one of, there, there's a, a scene in, that just keeps coming to mind as, as I look through Mark, especially in chapter 1, um, in the movie Ant-Man. There, there's a part where they're trying to catch you up with all that's going on. And so there's this one character that goes, okay, okay, okay. And, and he starts just rambling through the story, trying to catch you up with all that has gone on. I mean, they could have made a whole movie on what he tells you. And that's kind of where Mark is at this point. I mean, he's just moving along. He, he's hurtling through the story. Um, we, you know, what, like I said, it was a month ago that we began, and in verse 1, from the very beginning, Mark is telling us up front what is happening. He tells us from the very beginning that Jesus, he's sharing the good news, and that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And Mark, he isn't one to mince words. He's quickly, like I said, covering a lot of ground. And in verse 15, Jesus declares that God's kingdom is coming and that he's here to share that news. But have you ever really thought about what that means? What does it mean that, that God's kingdom is coming? Kingdoms are usually defined by different customs, signage, currency, habits, language. So perhaps it should be no surprise to us that when Christians pray for God's kingdom to be done, his will be done, his, his, for his kingdom to come, that, that we're kind of in some ways quietly assuming that something is going to happen, but it's going to happen in the future. It's, it's then. It's not as much now, it's then. And yet, the theologian Dallas Willard will tell you the kingdom is real and it is now. Because a kingdom is that realm where the effective will of the king determines what happens as we live inside and within the kingdom. We engage in the world around us today knowing that we are a part of the kingdom of God. Not just later, but now. It's both and. It's, the, it's present when the Holy Spirit is a part and we pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. The kingdom is present when the Holy Spirit nurtures the fruit of the Spirit within us as we grow more and more like Christ. The kingdom is present when we do things simply because Jesus told us to do them. And so we act in remembrance of, in honor of him. There is an expectation of God's people to live as God's people, not just inhabiting time and space, but understanding that we are part of the kingdom of God now. And yet, I begin to wonder, 
And maybe you've wondered this too, well, what, if those are Christ's expectations of us, have you ever wondered about what our expectations of Jesus are? What are your expectations of how he should impact your life? And I recognize that as a, uh, any relationship happens, it's something that we tend to grow into and, and, and develop in our understandings and expectations, and they change over the years. It, you know, but I also understand that it's way too easy to get stuck at a certain point that's usually fairly immature in, in our expectations of God's activity in, in our lives. And there are many that never move beyond treating Jesus like the genie in the lamp. That, you know, I pray and I ask him for things and then I expect him to respond and give me what I want. But that mentality isn't a part of a healthy relationship that we are called to enjoy with Jesus. And yet it was particularly prevalent even among the people as we read Mark's story of what's going on when Jesus began his ministry 2,000 years ago. In fact, as we read this passage, Mark is constantly pointing out that there's a misunderstanding amongst the people. That, that they, they're not quite sure what's going on, but, but they don't really fully understand who Jesus is and what was expected from him by the people as they encountered him. Now remember, as a reader, we're, we're let in from the very beginning. We know what's going on, but Mark's kind of showing that the others don't. And yet, so it's really important when last week we talked about this unclean spirit is the one that declares, you are Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. It wasn't Peter that declared that. It wasn't Andrew. It wasn't John. And yet we enter into this story in Capernaum. And I bet we, we look through this and we understand that Jesus performed hundreds of healings throughout his ministry of three years here on earth. And not all of them are recorded in the Gospels. It's not like, you know, Matthew or somebody was taking a list. Well, there's another healing. And we got little tally marks somewhere. That's not how it happened. And yet, so the Gospel writers chose certain stories to help us understand different things of what's going on. And they, the, the responsibility on us as readers is to get beyond the surface level and understand what they're trying to communicate to us. On a surface level in this story, in Mark 1, verse 29, uh, it's pretty obvious Mark wants to include this story of the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Because remember, Simon Peter is the primary source for Mark. That he's, he's writing down these things and stories so it makes sense that Peter would share this. But I think there's so much more to it than just this, 
the surface level stuff. It's, I mean, we go in from verse 29 and 30. Once again, we see this incredibly important word that happens over 40 times in the book of Mark that it's youthus. It's immediately. Now understand, the, the, in Capernaum, you have the temple and you can walk there now. You can walk in the synagogue in Capernaum. I've walked in between the, the pillars there. And right across the street is where they've, they found excavations and archaeology has, has said that that is where Peter's family lived. Because some of the evidence of what's going on and how history happens and, and they archive how, what happened in this spot. So it's right across the street immediately. It, it says they left the synagogue. And immediately, in verse 30, it says, they told him about her. This being the, the disciples that are with Jesus, they tell him about Peter's mother-in-law. And there's this urgency, not just on the part of Mark, but on the part of the disciples as they lead Jesus across the street. They're with him in the, the synagogue, and they just watched him heal this man and I think it's reasonable in our head to, to, to assume that something's happened here in Simon's mind. Remember, he's just getting to know Jesus, and all of a sudden he goes, wow, he can do things like that. We've never seen this done. Wait, my mother-in-law is sick. Let's, let's, let's introduce him. Let's, let's get him together. How can we use this? And I'm reminded that we're all a bit like Peter at times. We, we encounter something, I mean, we, we, and we encounter need or a desire or all these different things. And how often do we treat God like a genie in a lamp? Hoping that, you know, God, I'm going to bring you this need and it's just going to appear. God, here's, here's this, boom. God, here's this, Boom. Now I'll just wait. But we are in a relationship with the Almighty God and we understand that we, who has all the power and all the authority and the temptation is always there humanly for us to, to ask him to do things that we want him to do. And, and I understand that the scriptures tell us to, that we're to bring our prayers and our petitions to him. But it also says that we are to pray in honor of who he is. So that should set the priority. We're told to humbly bring our prayers before God, but we always have to be mindful and watch closely of our motivations. So, so Jesus' followers rush him out of that synagogue and they're waiting to utilize his gifts and, and yes, Jesus encounters Peter's mother-in-law. We aren't given a name. As far as we know, it, it is Mark records it, there's no words spoken. All we know is that it says he simply takes her hand and understand that, that as a good Jew, for Jesus to take her hand, a sick person's hand, and to do it on the Sabbath, to, to heal her, is breaking all kinds of rules. And it says he raised her up. Now, many translations just say he helped her up. 
That's a human thing to do. But this word that raised her up, it's it's the same word that's used with Jesus' own resurrection that he was raised. It's Mark talking about the resurrection possibilities in the here and the now. That this is kingdom stuff that's going on. As Jesus restores this woman, it's not just simply a fever that's a symptom. It's a fever that they know has killed people, that she's bound in this sickness, and he raises her up, and he sets her free to be able to what? It says she serves. This is the same word that we get the word deacon from. It's a a word of ministry. It's it's a word of taking care of what needs to be taken care of. It's a word of assistance that's used. So out of the chaos, out of the brokenness, Jesus raises her to minister to others. And then in verse 32, we have another scene in the same place. It really gets busy. It says that that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Clearly, the word is out. Things, things, it's happening. Uh, you know, in the midst of everything is going on, they, they now know in this small town of Capernaum that a new miracle worker is here, and so we want a piece of the action. And it says that the whole town gathered at the door. So first the man in the synagogue, that one caught everybody off guard, didn't expect it. Next, Peter, his mother-in-law, and that one nobody else knows about. But what we begin to see is the disciples is starting to, to develop something, and now the whole town, because of what happened in the synagogue, is starting to define who Jesus is in their life. They are defining them. He is a miracle worker. And Jesus, in some ways, is beginning to be put in a box of their choice about how they want to see him in action and how they want to relate to him in a specific way because it meets my need at this time. It didn't take long to see a change in the way people are relating to Jesus. Remember, just not hours ago, wow, he's a man that teaches. We've never heard somebody teach like this with authority. And not only does he teach with authority, even the evil spirits listen to him. This is a far cry from how he has introduced himself. Just a few days before, he wasn't just a healer. Remember, he had declared, I'm a messenger with, for the kingdom of God. I have a message to share. It didn't take long for Jesus to become objectified as a miracle worker who can just meet needs and, and at their whims. And that's how the people of Capernaum, and it seems like even the disciples, as they're trying to figure out who this Jesus is and how they relate to him. Nevertheless, Jesus' compassion goes beyond 
that single-mindedness of the people. And it says that in verse 34, that he healed many who had various diseases. So, and he also drove out many demons. Now, interesting paradox that happens here. Clearly, the people want to utilize Jesus' talents and gifts and his power because they bring to Jesus all the sick. But in that same verse, it says that they waited until after sunset. By Jewish law, the next day, it's at sunset, it's the next day. So it's no longer Sabbath. They're no longer held under the regulations and the rules to be, that, so they can now bring out their, their sick to, within the streets to Jesus. And so these people are caught within some interesting things. They're, they're caught by the understanding of thirsting for something new. The power of this new miracle worker. The power of someone that can cast out demons. The power of someone that can heal and, and do all this stuff. But at the same time, they're still caught within the very purity laws of Judaism. As they wait for him to come. They're caught in the tensions between we want this new and yet we are just, it's always been about this old. We, we want a living faith and yet we understand ritual. And it's more than just the story about Jesus' healing power here as he continues to really, Mark continues to drive this key point home. Jesus represents something new. He's not bound by the rituals. He's not bound by the tradition. He's not bound by human understanding. He's, he's more. And if we want to experience a new relationship with God, we, it comes through Jesus that we need to open ourselves up to something new. That we open up ourselves to not just something that resides within, well, we understand this, that it's, it's this, this tradition. This is the way we've always done it. Can't do it new. Nope. We like the idea, but I'm comfortable. And so verse 35, it says, very early in the morning. And I think we're often tempted to just jump past this passage. Verse 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off into a wilderness place. And for some, we'll say to deer hunt. No, it says where he prayed. Jesus got up before anybody else was. And he went into the wilderness to pray. And we see this throughout the Gospels, that Jesus escapes the busyness, the expectations, all the stuff to get away with God. And it's a moment of reconnection, a moment of deep intimacy in which he can breathe deeply and be himself with the Father. It's this beautiful moment of serenity. 
And yet, the scene shows us also that Jesus has this real physical limits that require him to get away. The pressures of this world, the pressures of people's expectations, the pressures of all that's going on for Jesus to understand, I can't do it on my own, and so I must be with my Father. That if in order me to do what God has called me to do, that I can't disconnect, I have to stay connected. I need to be with my Father now. And it says that, you know, he reveals this to us because what's happening here is that we understand that if, if Jesus doesn't guard his calling, if he doesn't guard his time that, that comes in his understanding of who he is by definition from the Father, that our cries for healing will drown out what he's called to do. That, that if he doesn't get with the Father on a regular basis, if, he doesn't underst- if we don't allow him to do that, then he gets tied in. And so what happens in verse 36, it says Simon and his companions went to look for him. They woke up and they're going, wait, where's the miracle healer? We got more people on the duty. Jesus, there's schedule. Did you not look on Google Maps? Did you not look on Google Calendar here of what's going on? And, and so-and-so is supposed to be here at, at this time, and so you got to get ready. They wake up and they can't find him and they want their miracle worker back. And it's interesting that Mark doesn't call him the disciples. He says Simon and his companions. Because they're not behaving like disciples. They're not following the Lord in humble obedience. Instead, they're still treating Jesus like this genie in a lamp. Come on, Jesus, let's get back to Capernaum. There's work for you to do. And the word here that's used here is saying that Simon and his companions are literally hunting for him. They're seeking him out where he's hidden. They have, they, he's been objectified at this point. They're harassing him. They're trying to consume him. And they're reminding him of how, just how much he is needed as this miracle worker. But Jesus doesn't give himself to their expectations. Remember, he knows who he is, not by their definition, but by the Father. And it says in verse 38, Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. For that is why I came out. A couple interesting things here to notice. First, Jesus says that he wants to move on to the other villages so that he can preach there also. There's no mention of healings. That very well may be a part of it, but that's not what he's there primarily for. There's no mention of exorcism, even though we assume that probably will happen as we continued. No, he has a message of the kingdom to bring, to help people understand. And again, Mark is contrasting Jesus' self-understanding with the expectations of the crowd. Jesus has a message, and while they want him to focus on the miracles. But secondly, notice what he says, for that is why I came out. A lot of translations say, well, that's why I have come. 
And we can read that differently. It's, it's important. Because if it's that's why I come, then we get that this is his totality, that this is everything, and it's his ministry and vo- vocation is in its, it, this is all it's there, and, and, and I get an understanding humanly. We want to understand that. We, we see that, and we, we get why we would want that. But if we translate it as it's written in the Greek, that this is why I came out, it's a comment that Jesus has come out of Capernaum and he's come out of Peter's house and now he takes on a, this different thing because he wants to escape the people's expectations and he's not just a tame miracle worker. He carries a message of the very kingdom of God and he can't be contained by their desires. Their expectations. And so he has to come out of the box that they're trying to put him in in order to preach the message. Jesus will not be contained in their box. He will not be contained in your box. And he will not be contained in my box. He is the son of God. He has a distinct mission. And he's on it. And Mark really pushes this home in verse 36. He says, So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Notice he doesn't say preaching in the synagogues. It's their synagogues. This is Jesus' home area. He's been in this synagogue before. He's been all of them probably before. But Mark speaks to him as a visitor. It's their synagogues. He, he, it's their conventions of the comfortable faith is theirs. It's not his. He's bringing more. He's, he's establishing the new. And so once again, we find Mark driving home this message that don't put Jesus in a box. It doesn't matter uh, what kind of box you want to put him in. Jesus refuses to sit in it. He will not be turned into a consumer product. He will not identify with just our desires for that genie in a lamp, that cosmic Santa Claus. And yet the amazing truth is that the grace and love of Jesus continues on. That even though the crowds and the disciples got it wrong at times, Jesus didn't get angry with them. He didn't totally shun them. He didn't, he didn't turn his back or refuse, but constantly we see that even though they misunderstood him out of love, he still met their need, that he continued to touch. He continued to bring people out of the chaos and make them whole, and that hasn't changed. 2024 in Baker City, Jesus continues to meet our need and turn us out of the chaos and offer us to make us whole as we lean in and put our faith in him. And Jesus understands that we may not always relate to him as we should. And we may try to Treat him inappropriately at times. But he does not turn his back on us. 
His tr- love transcends our ignorance. His love transcends our in- indiscretions and our, in our selfishness. And yeah, we need to grow up. Maturity needs to happen in our faith. But in the meantime, even while we're still sometimes behave like we know it all, and we want to snap our fingers and have the Messiah come running, he doesn't forsake us. He continues to love us. And while we often want to look at ourselves and just our needs and our wants and our and our and our, I'm reminded of the song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Heavenly Father, help us to get our eyes off ourselves. And trying to force you into our understandings and our expectations. For you're so much more. Help us to turn our eyes to you. Help us to listen. That God, our lives would be changed as each and every day, each and every moment. That we would... Look to you. That in our time of prayer, we would understand also that the expectations of this world are not what we are called to be. That you call us to more. That we are a part of your kingdom. That we are to live by different rules, different customs, with different language even while in the midst of this world. For we know the King. We praise the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That we can declare each and every day that Jesus is Lord. And so we give you this day. We give you this week as we are sent out to live differently. To live as one's in the kingdom. And again, God, we sing, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and you are dismissed to go live in peace